This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. From day one, we were focused in terms of making, first of all, our product to be enterprise-ready, enterprise-grade. The first experience that they get with the product should be just fantastic. It cannot be, you know, a sloppy experience, so to say. And second of all, we knew that this is a game where the leader will take the market. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen and welcome to another episode of the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. Now, I've got to admit that before today's episode, I knew very little about the world of object storage. But if you think cloud storage, which I know that we all appreciate the value of, but for non-enterprise level companies, that's kind of the main target market for object storage. Think AWS for the everyday business. Now, I wouldn't dream of giving you an overview of object storage more than what I've just said, because I would probably confuse you even more. But today's guest is an amazing thought leader in this industry. Gurima Kapoor is the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of Min.io, which is a tech company who delivers scalable, secure, S3-compatible object storage to every public and private cloud. Now, what you're going to really love about Gurima is her leadership charisma, as well as her transparency on leading her company with her life partner um, as she talks about some of the challenges in leading in a male-dominated industry and also being a female founder who's raised a Series B investment at a $1 billion valuation. And those of us who are in this world know how tough that is to obtain. And what's even more fascinating about her is that she is so down to earth and extremely authentic. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. So enjoy it, but be sure to stay tuned for just two minutes after the episode to listen to my closing segment called Karen's Take, where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's episode to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now enjoy the show. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen and welcome to another episode of the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. Now, you know that I always talk about leadership in action, meaning real leaders living and executing leadership every day in what they do. And we have the epitome of a true leader who focuses on action every single day. So on today's show, I am very honored to have uh, as our guest, Garima Kapoor, and hopefully I said that correctly or pronounced her name correctly. (laughs) She is the COO and co-founder of Min.io, which is a tech company who delivers scalable, secure S3 compatible object storage to every public and private cloud. Now, 
she's going to have to tell you the details of that because I was not going to murder what they do. So stay tuned for just a couple more seconds and she'll get into that. (laughs) But Garima was very instrumental in raising uh, Menio's $100 million Series B early in 2022 at a $1 billion valuation, which if you are in the world of private equity or venture capital, you know that is huge, absolutely huge. And they're using that investment to rapidly scale the commercial side of the business. She's a very active investor and advisor to numerous emerging technology companies in Silicon Valley. So not only does she live leadership every day, she is giving back and pulling others up along the way. So welcome to the podcast, Karima. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. And thank you for the lovely introduction. Well, thank you for your gift of time because I am so excited to to feature you. And when I read about um, your story and what you all were doing and what a huge impact you are making in the world of tech, and my listeners know I come from the world of tech. Uh, I was over 14 years at Microsoft. So, and currently our company, um, Shockingly Different Leadership, consults with a lot of tech companies. So tech is near and dear to my heart. But um, I really wanted to evangelize your story because there's so many individuals that, you know, go through the whole invest seeking investment, as well as trying to, you know, lead their teams and do great work. But before we peel back the layers of the onion to your story, uh, for as much as you feel comfortable, we'd love to get a sneak peek into maybe your personal life and passions. So, (laughs) um, is there anything you can? feel comfortable in sharing with us today? Well, passion is easy. That's simple. I mean, I love what I do and my passion is uh, building uh, the company and uh, my passion is Minayo. So uh, that's the easy past. On personal side, it's uh, as you know, as we were chatting before the show, I have two little boys, nine and 11. And I started the company along with my husband, who's a fellow co-founder and CEO. And I have a dog, I have a cat. So even within Minayo, we have a family first environment just because, you know, it was myself and my husband who started the company and we have multiple uh, other couples also who work as part of Minayo. So it's truly a family first environment uh, within the organization. And I think because the way we started, how we started Minayo, I think that really drove the culture and helped set foundations for the company as well. So, yeah. That's the personal life. So personal and professional are very intermingled. It's, <laughs> it is no boundaries. It's uh, Minayo all the way through. <laughs> I think we all experience that, those of us who are founders in some way, shape, or form. But I got to ask, uh, what is the secret of co-founding with your uh, partner or, sm- or spouse? What is the secret to <laughs> having a, a happy life? And I know the boys are keeping you all busy as well. <laughs> I started the company when my youngest was one year old. So, you know, it has been uh, quite a ride since then. And uh, he's now nine years old. So he's like literally grown up with the company, you know, with Minayo and the team members, the early team members, they also have seen him grow up with the company, right? So starting with the founder, uh, starting with my husband uh, as a co-founder, I think it I kind of drew line in the sand that uh, I will be very unhappy if I don't do a startup, if I don't build this thing uh, uh, for myself. And I think that really 
pushed my husband to come and become part and support me in this uh, journey. And I think that's the reason why it has been working so well for both of us. Because he also jokes that if it was him starting the company and him pulling me in, it would always be, you know, a little bit of friction all the way through. But because it was my passion and my drive that, you know, laid the foundations in terms of why we wanted to do. So that's the reason why it's working so well. And, you know, like all things, all partnerships need work. And uh, especially, you know, when you're starting something, being co-founder is, uh, you know, it's almost like a marriage. It's whether you're doing it with a friend, whether you're doing it with your brother or sister, whatnot, right? It's almost like you're tightly intertwined together. So I truly feel that, you know, uh, your husband or your spouse is the best partner if you really want to do, uh, you know, you really want to do the startup. Just need to be ready in terms of making it work along the way and also building that, you know, foundation in a way that is also welcoming to others uh, as you grow the team and build the team. So it has been a great ride so far. Oh, well, congratulations on your success thus far. And I, for one, will be tracking you from now on to see all the great things that you all do. (laughs) So let's peel back the layers of the onion a little bit and tell uh, our audience a little bit more about um, MinIO and what it does and how you all help organizations. For sure. We started the company back in end of 2014, beginning 2015, and we wanted to pick a problem that would remain relevant or that would outlive us as founders. And, you know, no matter what we did, data was a problem that we felt that we can hack on for the rest of our lives and not go wrong. So it was just very simple foundation that, okay, we want to uh, address the data problem. And when you're talking about data, there are two ways to address it. One is, you know, storing the data in a scalable, reliable, high-performant way. You know, the second step is in terms of how much information or what insights you can get from the data that you store. So we thought that if we can get to the stage where we become the standard in terms of storing the data, that anything that we do on top of it uh, will be just additional value to our customers. So it was just a very simple way we started. And right around the time, AWS had convinced the world that object storage is the right kind of technology to bring all the data at scale within your organizations. Uh, so we were like, okay, if AWS S3 will be relevant only within AWS, MinIO will be for rest of the world. So that's how we started. And we, you know, we have been focused from day one to now on single-handedly just addressing this problem. MinIO provides a high-performance, scalable object storage solution to enterprises to standardize in terms of storage and bring all the data to our platform. And so for our audience members who might not be as familiar, can you define a little bit more about what object storage is? For sure. So, you know, in storage, there are three standards. One is block storage, another is file storage, and third is object storage. So When you think about cloud storage, you know, the storage that is offered by public cloud providers like AWS or Azure or, uh, you know, Google Cloud, the technology that powers a cloud storage is called object storage. So it's a more technical term for a broader generic term for cloud storage, right? And what object storage provides is that, you know, the traditional storage systems like file systems, they are not meant for more modern workloads, like, for example, if you need a certain set of data to be accessed over wire to some other team member in a reliable way, in a performant way. 
file system is not meant for that kind of workloads. And if you see, those are the workloads that are more and more increasing. So that's where object storage comes into picture. So object storage provides a very reliable way in terms of accessing, very granular way in terms of what objects can be stored, what objects should be accessed, what kind of policy controls you need to have from encryption to everything, very granular set of controls. And that's how it differentiates between, you know, file system versus object system. An object system usually talks in terms of S3 API, which is the industry standard now, thanks to AWS, as compared to chatty POSIX interface of a file system. And because of the complexity involved, file systems really cannot scale to, you know, massive amount of scale, say petabytes and petabytes of storage, just from the complexity standpoint, right? So object storage uh, systems are meant to be simple, scalable, high performant for all the cloud native workloads, which are the fastest growing segment of the market. So, uh, you know, we are just focused on that particular segment. We do get requests in terms of why don't you add, you know, a POSIX API with S3 API that uh, uh, consumers interact with. And our focus is always, you know, you need to look always forward looking and not backward looking. We know the workloads are only going to grow in terms of object storage and not so much in terms of file storage. That's a shrinking market as we see it. So that's where we need to be focused on and we don't want to complicate the product more than it needs to be. be. So the goal is simplicity. The goal is performance. The goal is scalability. It is as simple as that. And that's what we do day in and out. Is it hard convincing companies to to become your clients or do they understand what you're 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 I'm sure you're talking like to the what CTOs, CIOs, is C C suite executives on what you're doing? Because I'm sure it's not it's a significant investment for them if they go down this route, right? It's not a dollar, you know. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like all enterprise products, right? right? I mean uh, yes. Yes. So we were very clear and storage, you know, it's a, it's not an easy technology overall. And storage is not a place where a lot of enterprises want to make changes in the first place, right? I mean, you don't want to mess with the data. It's such a critical part of your infrastructure, right? Nobody right. wants to just take decisions lightly when it comes to storage. Not until they're so for us to, right? <laughs> 100% you got it right so and we do understand that problem very well so for us we want we you know from day one we were focused in terms of making first of all our product to be enterprise ready enterprise grade the first experience that they get with the product should be just fantastic it cannot be you know a sloppy experience so to say so and second of all we knew that this is a game where the leader will take the market So we were 100% open source from day one. And that really helped us get to the places where we would not be, we we wouldn't even think of being right. So that actually helped us set standard in terms of us being the leader in the space. We are close to now, you know, more than a billion Docker downloads uh, cumulatively till now and a million downloads a day. So, you know, it's very important, especially when coming from storage, that people get to experience, people get to standardize. And once you have a brand visibility, then the conversation in terms of bringing your data to our platform becomes much more easier. Because if nobody knows even who you are, they're not going to give you the chance even in the first place or have a seat on the table in the first place. So I think open source helped us 
tremendously in terms of setting ourselves uh, as leaders in this space because developers could just download our product from our website, get started in like five minutes. There are uh, no keys to the product. It's just, you know, it's fully featured for anyone who wants to use it through the open source way. And the experience has to be seamless, like I always say, whether it is proprietary or open source product. So those are the key features that we were very focused on. And so we only started commercializing the product two years back. uh, And uh, since then, we've had like tremendous growth in terms of uh, getting the commercial customers on board. And we have like... uh, I think around 250 customers now and the scale of more than exabytes on our system. So it's been great, but I agree, like the conversations have to be seamless when you go to the C-suite level and to get to that stage, you need to be able to, you need to be able to back the number, uh, you know, have numbers backing your conversation. And I think that's the power that, that a good distribution channel like open source gives you. I love that. And maybe you just answered my question, but I had read in in some of the pre-information that you were able to really launch MinIO without a single salesperson. And I was wondering, well, how in the world (laughs) were you able to do that? And it might have been part of the answer you just gave me, but I would love to hear, how did you like get the doors open? Was it through the developers or (laughs) how did folks find you all? So coming to the sales thing, right? I think enterprise, the way the business works in enterprise is very different and a little bit of old school way in terms of how you do business, right? You need to hire a direct sales teams that wines and dines with the decision makers and whatnot. But that has been fast changing. And for us, you know, it's not like we did not experiment. We experimented with the direct sales team as well. But this market is such a technical market, you know, the people are already highly technical, they're highly knowledgeable in this space that uh, you don't need the traditional salespeople. What you need is the are the technical architects. What you need on your sites are the people who have gone through the similar problems back in the day themselves and are able to relate and uh, are able to understand their problems and help their problems and with the best possible solution. So that's the approach that we did. Uh, we took within our company as well, and of course, like uh, most of the uh, in requests that we get, these are the customers who have either experienced Minio in their previous life, or you know, have already played with the product, and now that they are going into production, they want to engage with us. Or these are certain users who have heard about Minio, want to learn more, and so on and so forth. So instead of having a traditional sales team, we do have a team of uh, technical or Uber CDOs in terms of engaging uh, with the customers and more from a problem solving standpoint than, you know, having a, than making a sale happen right at that very minute. So it's more focused towards problem solving, uh, I would say. Wow. So um, tell us about your experience in raising, what was that, 100 million plus, over 100 million, because I always read, I'm very connected to the uh, VCMP community, and I'm always fascinated about the stories of what was it that was key to getting the investments? What were they looking for? (laughs) You know, and with the whole experience, being a female founder, and for those who are watching, she's also a person of color. It is amazing to doing that. So can you tell us that funding story a little bit? For sure. <laughs> and, you know, just taking a step back from Series B to Series A, uh, you know, we raised quite a bit of quite a big round in that day, time and age, not so much from today's standpoint. But yeah, 
I mean, uh, for a storage industry today is like a 20 uh, million uh, Series A. That was considered to be one of the uh, biggest round back then. And what we told our investors back then was that this money we are going to utilize in terms to standardize on a, a set up a business model, lay the lay the foundations in place to a level where, you know, anything that we do on top, it only accelerates or scales the business. But, uh, you know, that would be the goal for raising the Series A money. And, you know, and we stretched our Series A, uh, the time between Series A to Series B, we raised our Series A, I think, in 2017, I would say, or 2017 summers, maybe. I'm not exactly sure of the time. And then we raised our series, uh, we closed our series B on uh, in January 22. So it was like a five-year gap. And usually what happens is that between series A to series B, if you see the time is usually around 12 to 18 months of time frame yeah. that you start raising the money. Right. But I think uh, there are a couple of things that helped us. First of all, we were very focused in terms of what we wanted to be when we raise our series B in terms of milestones. That was firstly adoption of Minayo to the level that we become the undisputed leaders. And secondly, we really wanted to get our business model right, because I think that is where a lot of iterations go in. It's very easy to, I would not say very easy, but it is relatively easy to build a product uh, and uh, harder to build a business around it, right? So we didn't want, we wanted to take this time to experiment enough. And uh, limited experiments, not very expensive experiments, and get to a stage where we are confident that you know whatever we do next is only going to accelerate the business to the next phase. So that's the time we need, uh, we leveraged, and that is what led to Series B. And quite interestingly, I think uh, Series B had been just a phenomenal experience uh, because of our foundations uh, as uh, a company. Whatever we do we do things on common sense and not so much about, you know, what market is uh, pushing you to do? So we have been very focused in getting our fundamentals right, having uh, a control on our cash burn, having real customers with real testimonials in terms of uh, what is working for them, what is not working for them, and having really solid foundations in terms of business. And I think that really helped us get uh, uh, uh make our series be much more easier, I would say, because we didn't even have to make a formal series B deck before we got our first term sheet wow. uh, from Intel. Yeah, and the good thing was that Intel had seen us from series A onwards and they were closely watching us and monitoring us. They were investor, uh, they did invest a small uh, small amount in series A. So they really had a seat at the table to watch us and how we think about the problems and really connect with us. So they knew that we were up to something uh, amazing, uh, and that's the reason why they gave us a term sheet even before uh, we uh, we had put a presentation deck together for Series B. So that was that was quite an experience uh, in itself. And of course, uh, you know, we went through the whole process and pitching and whatnot. And uh, yeah, but that's yeah, it, it was a very very seamless process for us. And I can see that because usually. Anyone worth their weight in gold has an, their eye out on who's the up and coming companies and technologies, the high growth companies that are in their niche area. So I can see that by the time you got to Series B, there were you know a few watching you all pretty closely. Yeah. Yes. So you probably didn't have to do the. I mean, you like you yeah. said, you did the the presentation, but they had a 
a base understanding is what I'm trying to say. Exactly. And what you are doing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's always a good validation when an internal investor gives you a, a big check because that shows even more confidence to the market that it's not like we are making things up in terms of, you know, uh, you know, extrapolating to how we will be in next couple of years, because there's always, you know, in terms of when you're building a forecast and other things, you're building on something uh, for the future, uh, right? So there is yeah. always that liberty. So I mean, coming from internal investors, it's, it's a huge validation in terms of that you're doing things right, right. and that you have feet on your on your ground and your, uh, the fundamentals are really strong in terms of how the company can build business on top. That makes sense. Now, who's your main competitor, if there is one? Like I said, you know, from day one, we have been very consistent that either data sits on AWS S3 or data sits on us. So that's how we take inspiration from. That's who we consider our competitor. Uh, It is as simple as that. Gotcha. Gotcha. And do you, how many employees do you have? We have now 65 employees and uh, uh, yeah, and it is... uh, when we raised Series B, we were around 40 employees. And, uh, you know, one of the questions that we got uh, quite a bit was that, what are you going to do with so much of money? You just have 40 employees. And right. for us, it was like, you know, you know, growth should not be measure of the number of employees. It should be measure of your revenue. It's, it should be measure of how fast you're growing the revenue. And for us, if we are able to deliver it on a 40 member employee, I think they should all be rewarded for that. You know, that is where I think there's a difference between enterprise versus consumer companies a lot. So if you see WhatsApp like company, you know, they were like 15 member team, I believe, when they had this massive uh, multi-billion uh, dollar exit. And for us, consumer technology is uh, is far more harder than an enterprise technology because there's always a lot more risks involved when it comes to consumers because you don't know how they're going to behave, what technology is going to resonate with them and whatnot. So enterprise is a lot more predictable, a yeah. lot more, um, you know, confined and stable. So for getting to that enterprise technology or delivering a high quality enterprise product, you don't need a, a massive team, I think. Yeah, so that's how we have been. And everyone that we bring on board, we are very mindful. We are a team of doers. We don't, we have a very flat organization structure and that's the way we want to scale and grow that uh, uh, we don't want to build uh, a team of managers, but rather, you know, a team of leaders who can really take ownership and deliver rather than, um, you know, coming from a traditional model of building layers and layers of managers and uh, then building a team underneath. So I think that has worked really well for us. It sounds like it definitely. And I'm curious, um, what is one challenge that kind of keeps you up at night right now? One thing that you are facing at, at MinIO? Yeah, I think it's a hard, it's a hard question. I think the only thing is that, uh, uh, you know, are we running fast enough? I think that is something that uh, as a founder, I keep thinking about, you know, we need to run as fast as we can and leave and increase the gap between number one and number two. I think that is what separates great companies from a mediocre companies because uh, you really need to outrun your competition throughout the way. I think, uh, uh, you know, if you see the companies that have survived 100, I mean, IBM is a great example for 100 of hundred years, I think it has survived being in business. And you can only do it if you're consistently outrunning your competition. So I think that is what is something that uh, keeps me up at night. And of course, the way to outrun your competition is just deliver on your results 
consistent making an impact having more larger deals just take take a, just getting taken from them to minio so i think that those are the things that uh, keep me keep me little bit awake at night i got you <laughs> i can definitely <laughs> understand that definitely <laughs> And so, Karima, you know, one of the things we love to ask our guests is which of the seven leadership execution tactics that I wrote about in my book really resonated with them. And you were so kind to share a couple. Um, Actually, you shared courageous agility and leading with um, a drive for results. And I think the leading for a drive for results, you just uh, explained why it was so important. I would love for you to also share your thoughts on leading with courageous agility. And for audience members who's not as familiar, Leading with courageous agility is all about having the courage and the fortitude to stand up for what you believe in and do what's right and and take a step forward, even if you're unsure of what's going to happen. And so I was just curious, Garima, um, why uh, that act of leading with courageous agility really resonated with you? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that resonated with me is because, you know, nobody knows what future holds. I mean, it is as simple as that. You know, nobody holds what's going to, how the world is going to look like a year from now, a couple of years from now. I think COVID has shown all of us that it's, it's, everything is so unpredictable. And I think as uh, founders and as leaders, I think you need to be stubborn for the right things. I think it is very important thing that separates a leader uh, from uh, someone else. Because, you know, there are, when you start a company, there are only no's around you, you know, if you are going to start something new, you talk to your family, you talk to your friends, first response you're going to get is no, it is not going to work. As simple as that, right? Uh So you really need to have that faith and that stubbornness that within you that no, Within five years from now, the world is going to look like how I want the world to look like, right? And you need to be able to just follow it relentlessly and follow it with conviction and passion. And uh, I'm not uh, saying that you need to be foolish about it, but you really need to be stubborn about the things that you truly believe in, right? I mean, we truly believed in that when we started that AWS just cannot be the world's data center. It's just simply not possible. There were so many people who were like, you know, even from VC standpoint, uh, you know, you would go and talk to them about, uh, and they were like, no, but the problem is already solved. AWS is already there. We were like, no, it no. cannot happen. And, you know, I get this question a lot of times that what did you do to convince those VCs? I told them, we didn't do anything to convince those VCs. We didn't want to take their money because if we cannot even, you know, have a common functionality in terms of how we view the world, then there is no way we can work. You know, there are tactical things that how you can get to those goals. There you can have an alignment. Okay, is this the right uh, way to get to the goal? But you need to have an alignment in terms of, you know, where you're headed. Otherwise, there is no point in getting into that conversation, right? So I think for uh, leaders and for founders, it's just so important because you're starting from nothing. Nobody has seen the proof. Nobody has seen this beautiful technology that you keep talking about or, you know, uh, whatever you're trying to do. Nobody knows about that. Nobody sees it. So you need to be stubborn. You need to have enough conviction uh, along the way in terms of, no, this is the right thing. And of course, you need to listen to the market signals. You need to talk to people. But I think that inherent stubbornness needs to be there. Otherwise, if you are thinking that, okay, this person is right, that person is right, you will end up not building anything. So I think that courage 
to follow the conviction to follow your dreams to co- conviction to follow what you really believe in i think is so important because world will only say no to you so right. <laughs> there will yeah. only be no's around you so that needs to come from within you and uh, i think as uh, women especially like we have been and especially like you know i'm originally from india so the way you are brought up is very different than you know how i see uh, people here and you know you're always supposed to be more compliant more listen to people stubbornness is not a, a right thing to be but uh, i think being a well, woman you even need useful. to be even more stubborn it can be useful, i i agree right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think for women you even need to be more stubborn because yes. uh, there will be even more people than if you were you know a, a, a male uh, as you are pursuing your dreams so there are even more people to discourage you you know they'll be like focus on your family focus on this that and the other right so right. you need to really know where you're headed and you need to be just 100% stubborn about it and it's okay to be wrong it's fine i mean you make changes along the way but you really need to start with a place of conviction so yeah, yeah that that's why that uh, thing really resonated with uh, uh, with me yeah in terms of courage agility yeah and you know green mac and i you know tell even after our pre conversations and conversations now you're you're very thoughtful um strategic and um you know i could work for you cuz you're very inspiring <laughs> thank you <laughs> but um but i'm just curious is there a individual or a company that has really differentiated themselves in your mind like someone that you really admire that's a fantastic leader in their profession or industry and if there is can you share one yeah i think uh, indra nui is someone that i really look up to and you know i've been following her journey very closely and uh, for me it was very inspirational because i mean she her background is also originally from india and she came here with uh, you know just for education and how she grew up in the corporate ladder back in the day which was even harder for women and harder for women of color uh, like her right i mean for her to prove her metal every step of the way that's quite inspirational uh, for me and i you know being a ceo at that age uh, a, a woman led comp- you know a, a global brand like pepsico i think it's been just phenomenal so she really inspires me a lot and also like you know in our interviews if you follow her closely the way she describes in terms of the challenges of just being a woman and you know even from your family how you get questioned along the way it's quite it resonates a little bit uh, uh, with me as well you know if i go back to my parents and talk to them they you know their responses are very similar to what she had heard uh, along the way from her mom so that really does resonate with me and i think she is just amazing and the impact that she's making uh, just by being who she is because you know sometimes you don't need to do much other than just follow your dreams and passion and to show that that's doable that's possible then you know that itself is an inspiration enough so i think she is someone that i really look up to and she inspires me a lot Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing that and sharing the story of why it really tells a lot about what we try to do is help individuals understand how to be inspirational, what it really takes to differentiate yourselves and make the impact you want to make in the world. And so uh, when we ask this question, it gives a lot of insight of, you know, what it takes, you know, to build a legion of raven fans, you know, if you will, around what you're doing, especially mm-hmm. when it aligns with your passion. So, 
But I just want to say that I think you're probably as inspirational as she is as well. You have a fantastic (laughs) story and you're doing so much to help, you know, other entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley and beyond, you know, and encouraging them to stay the course as well. So thank you so much, Garima, for coming on the podcast. And before we let you go, we will have things in the show notes, but I'd love to give a voice behind how can people find you if they're interested in learning more about MinIO or have a quick question for you. For sure. Please uh, feel free to reach me uh, if you have any questions. I'm on Twitter at uh, the handle of Garima Gap, and I'm also on LinkedIn with uh, Garima Kapoor. Minayo, please uh, feel free to reach out to me. And my company website is uh, min.io. So very simple, very easy to remember. And if you write to hello at min.io, you can just ask for me as well. So I I monitor those emails personally as well. So <laughs> so yeah, please. Uh, any happy to uh, answer any questions or, uh, you know, give any and advice. And I'll just say my personal network is a lot of enterprise level leaders that in tech that I know you're listening out there, definitely <laughs> check out their website. You might uh, need to contact them for business as well. I'm just saying. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Grima, again for your gift of time. Uh, this has been a fantastic episode. Thank you, Karen. It's been a pleasure. And uh, it's always good to meet with people who are so well-tuned uh, with uh, you know what the audience wants to you know, listen and get advice and also, you know, grow within their uh, careers as well. So thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. And thank you listeners as well for joining in. You know, I only ask that you like and subscribe to the podcast and share with just one friend, because when you do, that helps us extend our reach and helps others just like you to lead at the top of your game. Thank you so much again and see you next week. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Garima Kapoor, the Chief Operating Officer and Co-Founder of Min.io. Links to her bio, her entry into our leadership playbook, and additional resources can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform of choice and on the web at leadyourgamepodcast.com. And now for Karen's take on today's topic of finding your blue ocean. Now, as I mentioned before, there's no way I can top Garima on the topic of object storage, and I'm not even going to try. However, there is a leadership lesson from her episode that I want to call to your attention. Most of you may be familiar with the book, The Blue Ocean Strategy. The key point in the book that they drive home is that you can accelerate the success of your business by looking for marketplaces or opportunities where there is little or no competition, but high demand. And what's interesting is that this strategy has now been extended to multiple areas of leadership, um, not just uh, for business owners. Garima used this strategy as she watched the world of big data evolve. She knew that the big players in the market were racing to gobble up the business of the Fortune 500 companies. However, she saw that providing the solution for middle-sized and larger firms was a blue ocean of potential and very profitable. And I want you all to find your own blue ocean of opportunity. No matter your job or profession, know that there is a blue ocean of opportunity for you to take advantage of. At Shockingly Different Leadership, you know, we found two great markets. One for companies who are in need, on-demand support, 
for their people and talent development functions, and the other for individuals and companies who desire to up-level their leadership capability in a way that directly impacts the bottom line. So my challenge for today for you is to grab a cup of coffee or tea, find a quiet place, and spend just 20 minutes brainstorming potential areas where there may be blue oceans of opportunity for you to capitalize on. And then I want you to take it a step further by setting aside some time in the next couple days to flush out your thinking on your list of ideas and pick one to take action on so that you too can continue to lead at the top of your game. Remember, please, to subscribe to the podcast and just share with just one friend because performing this one selfless act will empower you to help others to also lead at the top of their game. Thank you so much for listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.